Uh, Father, we do, uh, Lord, on this day, we, we look to you, Lord, and uh, there's just a lot of pain and sorrow, Lord, from, from lives of combat, from the sinfulness of, of humanity. And so we long for the day, uh, as your word tells us, that one, one day these, these weapons and the arms that we use uh, for destruction, that they'll be turned into to plowshares and will be used for good. And so we, we look for the day when sin uh, no longer exists, and we can just worship you in peace. Father, we lift up the Gold Star families. I think of the moms, the dads, the wives, the children, uh, the close friends, the comrades who are there who suffer the scars of uh, remembering. And so we pray, uh, God, that you would, uh, by your grace, uh, just heal these people, Lord, help them to find hope in you. Uh, we we love you, God, that we have hope beyond this life, and we know that um, you are good and you're loving, and that through uh, the suffering of this life, Lord, you bring about um, goodness and hope and joy. And so, Father, we, uh, we, we pray for our nation and the world, Lord, and we just ask, Lord, um, that, uh, that people's lives would be transformed. Uh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, for ultimately that is the way to true peace. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Okay, the kids who go to Sunday school can go to Sunday school. A little bit longer here. <clears throat> We're really only looking at one verse today, which means really not that much. So hopefully we, you know, we, uh, you know it should be shorter, but we'll see. Uh, uh, you can't trust a pastor when he says stuff like this. Um, let's pray. We're only looking at Ephesians 2.10, but I'm going to read Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 just to give the context. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we can gather um, just to, to worship you through our fellowship with one another, through our singing to you and praising, praising you through song. Uh, we thank you for the time that we have to study your word. Lord, we ask that your word would Come alive to us. May your spirit illuminate the meaning of the text. May we understand what is being said here uh, by you uh, through the Apostle Paul to the church, the churches at Ephesus, and even to us. Uh, Father, we pray, Lord, as we look at this text um, that really compels us, Lord, to, um, to, to live out our new life in Christ um, by, by doing the works that you have prepared uh, beforehand for us. And so we pray, Father, that you would uh, grow us in our relationship with you, mature us in, uh, in this, this relationship, and help us, Lord, uh, to grow and to serve and to fulfill uh, that which you have uh, called us to do in our own lives. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And Father, we do thank you for this passage. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name. I pray. Amen. All right, so we read that long section. There's sort of three parts before we get to the verse. Verse, uh, Verses 1 through 3 sort of talk about our amazing depravity, that we were really, really bad and that we were really, really uh, set apart from God, that there, that we were dead. Uh, I, I think back to when I was in Bible college, I must have had a class or a, 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 a professor or something reference this section and he described us as a dead fish that was floating down a river. And so whenever I read this, I just think of like a dead fish floating down the river. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I took my boys up to Lake Tahoe, and they were all stoked to be playing in the snow water. I don't know what they were thinking. They're like, Dad, it's okay. Once your body goes numb, you're good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to avoid that. But there was this like big old dead trout just floating there at the shorelines. And my boys thought it was the coolest thing. And I'm just like, uh, that's me, spiritually, before God, that big dead trout. And then verses 4 through 7, uh, this but God, that uh, this amazing heights that we're brought to in Christ, that suddenly as low as we were uh, before Christ, in Christ, we're, we're brought up to the, the heavenly heavenlies right there with Jesus. And then verses 2, verses 8, or chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, we see this amazing grace uh, that songs have been written about, this understanding that our relationship with God is not contingent on anything that we have done or do. It's based solely on the act of Christ on the cross. It's by grace we have been saved through faith when we trust what he's done. And in that moment, we're transferred from death into life, from from this old creation to new creation in him. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And, and, and then the question sort of lies is like, what do we do at that point? Um, early in my Christian life, I'd become a Christian, I think by my best calculation, when I was about 22 years old. I was an active duty Navy SEAL. I was going to church on, on Sunday nights and a Bible study on Tuesday. And then I was in the bars all of the other nights during the week. And I was um, sort of trying to figure out sort of these two word worlds and how did they fit together. And through this journey over the course of about four years, I'm a real slow learner. I started to realize that my, my life at the bar on dollar beer night and my life on Sundays, that there was this big inconsistency and that there was a problem. And, and through uh, God's kindness and his patience with me, I began to see, you know what, I need to sort of like abandon one or the other. And through his help, I eventually walked away from my old life in the flesh. It was a journey. It's still happening to, to this day. And as I got plugged into the church, 
I started to grow and I started to go to these Bible studies and I realized that I needed to fill my time um, by not going to the bar and not hanging out with the guys. And, and so I was like, I'll just plug myself into a Bible study every night of the week. And when I'm gone, I'll, I'll miss them. But, um, but, but I just sort of structured my life in a way that I was like always in church because I knew that if I wasn't in church, that I would be doing stuff that wasn't pleasing to God. And I eventually reached this place where I still felt like something was missing. Like I was going to the studies, I was learning, I was being involved, I was drinking less and less, and I was uh, finding that I was more and more successful, but there just was like this void. And I remember going to uh, one of the pastors at the church, and I said, I, I feel like I'm missing something. And he's like, you need to start surfing is what you need. And I'm like, sign me up. Where do you want me to go? And he's like, well, what's your availability? I'm like, I'm on the road about 260 days out of the year. So is that going to be a problem? He's like, you're telling me that you're in town about 100 days out of the year. I'm like, that's about right. I should be able to make some Sundays. And he's like, okay, I got a plan for you. How good are you shaking hands and smiling? I'm like, I can do that. He's like, when you're in town, shake people's hands at the door and help them find a seat. And so that was my introduction to ministry is that, that when I was there on Sundays, I would show up. It, it was a church that had like five services, super mega church. And I would show up at like six in the morning and I would shake people's hands. I would help them find seats and I would be there till 10 o'clock at night. And now I'm a pastor. And so that was kind of like, that was like the introduction. But I learned like about my, I don't know what this was. I mean, I'm guessing this was about my four the five-year mark as a Christian, I realized that as a Christian, I needed to be like contributing. I needed to be giving of myself. I needed to be serving, that there needed to be some outlet, not just an input into my life. And so while we're not saved by good works, everybody knows Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 8, that we're saved by grace alone, it's by faith, There's, we don't do anything to earn our salvation. But very few people actually know Ephesians 2.10 that then goes in to say, okay, you're not saved by works, you're saved to do good works, which is super important. That, that God, when we have come to Christ and received him as Savior, uh, Paul would tell young Timothy sort of this idea that he was pressed into service, like a, like a military, that you were enlisted into this cause, and that God has a purpose for you, and that there's a reason for your existence, and you need to start working and serving, and as you do this, you grow even closer with, to him. And so in verse 10, we begin with, for we are his workmanship. So this word for is sort of like an introductory word that links to the previous section. Verse 9, we read, the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So where he's led up to this position, you are dead in Christ. You've trusted Jesus. You're dead. You're dead in your sins, not dead in Christ. You're dead in your sins. You've come to the place where you recognize where you are apart from him. You then understand you've been shared, you've read or something that you see that Jesus went to the cross and he died for you. The wrath of God was placed upon him for your transgressions. And all you need to do is to believe. And you did. And we're told that, that in that moment, it's this, it is a gift of God, 
not because you did anything. You have nothing to boast about. I know I've shared this illustration a bazillion times. So you guys know where I'm going to go. The deadliest catch. Anybody want to share the story for me? I know I've told it a bunch. I really like to show the deadliest catch. Like I think, man, if I could be young again and I didn't go to be a Navy SEAL, I think I'd want to go to Alaska to give it a shot for at least a season. Like could I hang with these guys? I know now I want nothing to do with hanging with these guys. I, uh, I uh, uh, like, n- n- not at all. Like, uh, I'm past that in my life. But there was this one episode. They were heading out to sea. There was one boat and there was a second boat. And it was a super bad storm in the, Dar- in the Bering Sea. And a guy goes overboard without his, like, dry suit on or whatever the suit is. And they start, there's this call, like, man overboard. It's super bad storms. They said in the time for the boat that he fell off, for that boat to turn around to come back and get him, he would be a goner like in that short amount of time. And then the second boat comes out, and they're like, hey, we have visual. We have a straight line. We can get to him. They, 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 they go right out to the guy, and they throw a life ring out to the guy. The guy barely has the strength to grab onto the life ring. They haul him in, and then they get him into the galley. That's the kitchen for you non-sailor guys. In, or women. Uh, so they get him in the kitchen. He's like super shivering. They're putting blankets. They're trying to treat him for hypothermia. And he never said, oh, look what I did. I saved myself because I grabbed onto that life ring. And it's like, no, all he said was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys saved my life. You saved my life. I was dead. I, I thought I was gone. I could barely hold myself above water. Like I was on the way of going under. And it was this perfect picture. I know that a few weeks ago when John preached and he covered this like this tension, you know, the, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, and we could take it so far as to say that, that if we respond in faith, that's a work. But I don't think that that's what the Bible says. And this guy reaching for the lifeline, he could have rejected the, the lifeline, but he grabbed on to what they provided. He's, it's still a picture of faith. Like he responded to what somebody else did, and by no means did he save himself. And so we're told in this moment that there's nothing that we have done to earn our salvation. It's required that you respond by faith, but that's not an act of work. That, that's, that's, a, that's a response. God did everything. And so here we are, for we are his workmanship. And this word workmanship is a, is a word that's a fascinating word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. It's, a, it's, a, it's the word where we get poem from, poema. Um, we can take this too far to think that you're uh, like a poem. It, it, I don't think that's the context. In the context, the word meant workmanship, like creation. Um, on, on Thursday, I didn't ask permission for this, but I don't, there's not, I don't think this is a permission one. We'll find out if I need permission. On uh, Thursday, I came to the church. And Grace was given art lessons to, um, to Eve and Eva, Eva and, and, and uh, they had their little paintings out. And it, like I walked in, I got distracted uh, because that's what happens to me a lot. And so I'm talking to the mom about snakes and stuff. And, but I'm looking at the paintings and I'm like, they're beautiful. Like, they're, like it was like this beautiful like sunrise or sunset. And, and I, I should have said, so if they're, I don't see them, but I saw them walk in. It was beautiful. They were like these little masterpieces that they created. And, and it's sort of this, like, that, that we are his workmanship, his, his, like, these, this masterpiece 
uh, production. Um, but, but before we start going to the point where we think, yes, I'm God's masterpiece. Look at me. Like I, everybody should worship me. That's not really the idea. So in Romans 1.20, where this word is used, it says, uh, Romans 1.20 is very much like Psalm 19. For the heavens declare the glory of God. That, that God in his creation, the things that he's made, he's revealed himself to the world. And there, Paul writes, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That's that word, workmanship. The only other place in the Bible that it's used so that they are without excuse. And so what he's saying, that the workmanship that Paul is talking about, he's talking about God, his invisible attributes, the things about God that you can't see, his eternal power, uh, his capacity to speak creation into existence, uh, divine nature, everything about who God is, he is placed out there into creation for humanity to see. I don't think it's enough to be saved by God's creation, but by God's creation, there's enough for us to be condemned before God. If you look out at the world and you see everything that's been created, the, the stars and the atmosphere and the, 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 the trees and sequoia, if you go to the microscopic level and you look at God's creation and you think, man, this is just wild. All this just happened from some big explosion. Like that's simply incredible. That's crazy. I mean, I, not, no disrespect, but it's crazy to think that the, the intricacy of this world and all of the things that have to happen could just happen by happen chance. There's no, like, would we look at creation? The reasonable response is there has to be something that did all of this. So that's what, that's how Paul is using this word in Romans, he says, what has been made, God's masterpiece of creation, so that they are without excuse. That humanity, when it looks at God's creation, it's without excuse. Now when we come back to Ephesians 2.20 and look at this word, for we are his workmanship. The, the context is just previous that you were saved by grace alone. That, that you were a sinner and you've now, through the grace of God, have been transformed into this new creation. And it's kind of this picture that that's the workmanship that, that you who are far from God through faith could be brought near is a, is a beautiful masterpiece. This, this creation, this poem of God that he could do this is, is unthinkable. It's something that only God can do. Augustine was quoted as saying, Men go abroad to wonder at the height of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the season, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering, which is really profound. I mean, there's a huge aquatic tree. That's nothing to like a newborn baby of like all of the wonder that's in there, the majesticness of it all. On this masterpiece, Kent Hughes says, the ultimate workmanship of God is a human being who, despite being dead in his transgressions and sins, 
has been made alive in Christ. Like this is the masterpiece, to be dead in your sins, transformed into new life. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. This is the workmanship that is so awesome and so wonderful. And it begs the question, as we look at verse 10, if you are hearing this, if you are in the presence of the scripture that's being presented to you, the question is, have you been made new in Christ? Have you given your life to him? Have you trusted upon the work of Christ for salvation? There's nothing more spectacular in this world than a, than a life that's been transformed. And so then Paul's obviously writing the book of Ephesians, like John, I think, mentioned it uh, whenever he mentioned it. But that this, this letter is written to those who are Christians. This isn't like an evangelistic book that's trying to, to reach nonbelievers. He's writing to those who are in Christ. And so for those of us who are in Christ, and my prayer is that you, you, if you're not a Christian, that you would come to the place where you understand what Jesus has done for you, that you could respond by faith and received this new life in him. But for those of us who have received this new life in Christ, like, so what are you doing now? Like, where, where, what's your next step? Like, where do you go from here? Do you just continue your life as it was beforehand? Or is there something different? I believe that there's something different. He goes on to say, for we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So where his workmanship and the aim is created for good works. Um, our new life in Christ presents itself with a whole lot of opportunities. In a few minutes, we'll look and see that there's verses and Peter, Paul talk, or Peter talks, and Peter, Paul talks, and Peter, Peter talks about um, that, that in Christ, God has gifted each one of us in Christ with at least one spiritual gift for the sake of serving the body of Christ. That he's, he's put within you this desire, or it should be there, uh, to serve and to contribute, to, to participate in the family of God for good works which he prepared beforehand. Uh, this idea that God has laid out a path for you um, to walk in. And this whole understanding of our life in Christ, these good works, it's liberating. Um, if you're going down your journey of life and you think that, that your relationship with God is contingent about the things that you do or the things that you abstain from, and if you do certain things and God loves you more, or if you abstain from other things and God loves you more, that's a, that's a terrible path. You'll never know or you'll never have security with God. But we're told that our relationship with God is secured through the work of Jesus Christ and, and what he did on the cross, that Jesus loves you, he created you, he's working in your life, he's convicting you through his spirit to stay on the path that he's created for you. And so for those of us who've experienced this relationship, it's about, here I am, Lord, thank you for this day. What do you have for me? I just want to serve you and honor you, not because I'm trying to uh, earn a relationship with you, not because I'm trying to earn your love, but because I have your love. Everything that I am is for you. And so how can I use you this day? It's so liberating to have this sort of relationship with God. I wish 
early in my Christian life, somebody had explained this to me. I did not have this. I was trapped in this idea of sort of a works-based relationship with God, that if I did good, he was happy with me. If I missed the mark, he was unhappy for me, and I had to atone for my sins or my, 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 my shortfalls. It was miserable. And then when I came to understand grace over the course of a number of years to really understand what grace is, totally liberating. And really, you're able to do so much more for God when you understand that it's not this sort of like give and take relationship. He gave everything. You're just responding so that we would walk in them. You have to go back to the verse. I, like being so microscopic in this, it's, it's easy to lose sight. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus, or Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So up to this point, he sort of stated what's happened. Now there's the so that we would walk in them. And this is the idea that we have this responsibility to live out our Christian life. He has done everything for us in Christ to, make, to establish this relationship between us, fallen creatures, and this holy God who created everything. And now that we have this relationship in Christ, we have this responsibility to live it out. Um, Weist says this on this word walk. The word walk is peripateo, to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself, to order one's behavior. Paul would use this word in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through, I think it's 25, the, the fruit of the Spirit passage, and it talks about getting in step with the Spirit. Um, it's a military term. And, and what a weekend to talk about the military. This is like the whole when you're marching to get in step, that the Spirit of God as a Christian is in your life, and he's moving and leading and guiding you. And you can either be a stubborn child and be resisting the movement of, of, of him in your life, or you can say, here's my life, let me get in step. What are we up to today, God? Like, let's just go along with the motions, uh, and, and we follow along. Back in verse 2, Paul in Ephesians would talk about our former life, the way we walked. But now this word walk is in the present tense, that we would walk in them, that there's this distinction between our old life and the new life. As we turn the page and get into to Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, the meddling part of Ephesians, Paul is going to expand on this idea of walking, this lifestyle that we are to have in Christ. In Ephesians 4, 1, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, that Jesus has done something for you. He's poured his life out into your life, He's done everything, and, and it's reasonable that you would live your life in a certain way so that we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In chapter 4, verse 17, we're to walk not like the world. How the world thinks and moves and operates, its whole philosophy is distinct from the Bible's version of how we're to live. And so we're supposed to go, God? How is it that I'm supposed to live my life? Seek to honor that, to understand that as we are faithful to God and we live out the things that God wants us to live out in our lives, there's going to be friction with the world. In Ephesians 5, 
verses 1 through 2, we're instructed to walk in love. In Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 10, we're to walk as children of light. And then there's a little phrase in there that I love so much. It says, trying to learn. It's a process. Walking with God is a journey that we have to learn. The longer you were apart from him, the, the more you have to undo in your life and the old habits to, to break and to figure out, like, how, how does my life uh, work itself out now that I'm following you? And it's a journey. And in Ephesians 5, verses 6, 15 through 16, we're told to walk carefully, that the whole world around us is super tempting. The whole world around us is going to lead us astray. And so we have a very limited time on this earth. And so we're to walk very carefully, uh, being careful how we go about our days to think through them. How we live our lives matters to God because we're his workmanship. We're his masterpiece. When the world looks out at creation and the stars and the moons, as Psalm, 19, as Psalm 119, or Psalm 19, excuse me, says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I think the, the focus here is that the world also looks out at the people who carry the title children of God. And we reflect God to them, which is a huge responsibility. And so Paul will tell us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for good pleasure. And so when I read this, this is the big... Uh, mind-opening thought here is that our relationship with Jesus just isn't some fire insurance policy that we pack away for the day that we die. And then when we die, it's like, oh, good. I'm in the, the place with cotton candy and gold streets and all the fun stuff, not in the fiery place of condemnation. This is a verb that the Christian life is about living our lives now, that there's something to do now, that we, we have received salvation, and so we need to use it, to utilize it, to, to live out the Christian life with fear and trembling in this present age. Peter, as I referenced before in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, writes, as each one has received a special gift, put it to use, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God that at conversion, God has gifted you something supernatural, a gift to be used within the body of Christ. Um, and I truly, deep within my soul, I don't believe that we as followers of Christ will find true satisfaction and contentment and peace until we actually start living out our faith, serving within the body, serving each other out on the street, um, it's a wonderful thing. Like our, our, the church is, the parking lot's getting ready to be redone. And yesterday I met with a guy, like I noticed, it's been on my to-do list. I'm like, oh, I need to follow up with the re-asphalting. This isn't something they teach in seminary. I know it's not a big, it's really not a big deal. I've been here now for long enough to know like every couple of years you redo slurry asphalt. Didn't know this before I was a pastor. And a seal, they, I didn't care about asphalt. And, uh, and, uh, and apparently something has to get done. 
And so then I noticed like our whole street, one little guy's going up and down the street, like re-asphalting all the driveways. I'm like, hey, let's call this guy. I'll call him up. And so I text him. I'm like, hey, man, can I get a bid on like, uh, and he's like at the church. And he responds in a very Christian way. Not, not like a guy that's trying to manipulate Christianity, but like, he's like, this is like an answer to prayer. Like, I really need work. Praise God. Like, and I'm like, okay. And then, um, he shows up yesterday to get the bid and, and he's like, yeah, I was doing your neighbor's house. And I was like totally witnessing to him. I'm like, Oh, you're witnessing to them. They're not believers. He's like, yeah, he doesn't believe in anything. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's like, he's a really great guy though, but it's, was just so encouraging that he's like, I know I just slurry parking lots and driveways, but every little crack, every little detail is for Jesus. And I'm like, that's the spirit. I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, well, let's see what your bid is. Cause I say, you know, we'll see what like, he got the job. He's good. He's like, but it's like, this is the attitude that like we are a part of something so much greater than ourselves. And once we realize this and we start living this way, everything changes. And so when I look at this passage, like the, like first and foremost, it, it like, we like, it dep- I grew up Catholic. And when I, when I think of my like Catholic loved ones and when I start talking about this subject of good works and faith and like, ah, this is, they'll say, oh, it's just semantics. Like, it, we're saying the same thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is like, this is super different. Like, doing, serving, giving of yourself, working for God in response to what he has done for you is vastly different than working and serving for God to ensure that the relationship that you have is preserved and maintained and continues and is earned is totally different. It might look the same from the outside, but they're worlds apart. And so we have to understand that our relationship with God is solely based on grace. Jesus's work on the cross is the only thing that matters as far as our relationship with God. We stand condemned apart from his work on the cross. There is nothing that we can do. But once we've received this gift, the Bible tells us that we're transformed from the inside out, that God has gifted us with a gift. He's equipped us. He desires us to be his ambassadors, to serve and to give and to contribute of ourselves, to be a part of the body uh, because that way the world will see and understand who Jesus is. Uh, that way the bride of Christ will benefit from the blessing of the things that, that, that you have to offer. Like the church needs you. If, you're, if, if, if you are a believer and you're, this is your church, you are needed. Well, why? Why is that, Pastor Gunner? Well, I don't know. All I know is that God says he's given you a special gift and that, and that we need it. And so... Like I can't, it's this guy, like Mr. Weed Whacker here, like we're like, we're like dueling weed whackers. You know what I mean? Like you're right here and you're right in my face. Like he, he tries not to make eye contact with me, but it's like, it's so hard. He's like, like you know, like, we're interactive here, you know, for the, but it's like, we can think, oh, like, oh, weed whacking. That's not a gift to the body. It's like, I assure you, weed whacking is a huge blessing to the body. Like there are people from the church who come and clean during the week. There, there are things that are done around here. You think, oh, it's not a big deal, but it's a huge deal. It's, it's hospitality to the body, to those who come. Going out and saying hello to somebody, greeting somebody, welcoming them. Um, 
It's so much greater than you can possibly imagine. The other day, I was somewhere at one of the men's groups, and so some of the guys were talking. They're like, hey, when I started coming to this church, this church is special because, and they started listing all the things that impacted them, and none of the things had to do with a, a bright, shiny building. None of the things had to do with, like, programs. All of the things had to do with when I walked in here, people loved me and they cared for me and they, they reached out to me and they did fill in the blank stuff that I had nothing to do with. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing when like the people of God are filled with his spirit and they just respond. It's a beautiful thing. And so my, my prayer is that each of us would reach the place of maturity in our lives where we start our days with, Lord, here I am. This is the day that you've given me. How can I honor you today? How can I serve you today? I'm, I'm heading to work today. How can I be used by you? As I go through certain circumstances in the back of my brain asking, Lord, is what I'm doing right now, is this pleasing to you or is this not pleasing to you? I want to be pleasing to you, God, so help me uh, to live my life in a way that's pleasing. And so my, my prayer is that we, uh, as a family here, would live this way. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Lord, we have to highlight the reality of our relationship with you isn't based on anything that we have done to earn. We don't deserve this relationship. We thank you for Jesus's work and his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We thank you that he died according to the scriptures for my sins, for the sins of the world, that on the cross, the wrath that was due me was placed upon him. This, this is a transaction that, that makes no sense to us that we would receive a gift. We often say a free gift, but the reality is this is a gift that came at a great expense. And so, Father, for those of us here who maybe have not uh, responded to you or maybe they have, but they're grappling with things, Father, I pray that you would uh, just move each one of us into a, a deeper and more intimate relationship with you that we would understand that our relationship with you is based on what Christ has done for us. Father, help us to be liberated with grace, to understand that his work was sufficient on the cross for us. Uh, I think of the old hand that said, my, my sin was paid in whole, not in part. That he paid it all. And all to him we owe. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to, to walk this line that we've been paid for with a price and that in him we stand complete, but at the same time, uh, for our own good and for your glory, you have gifted us to serve, to contribute, to do good works, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that as we do these works in our life, Lord, that you would uh, 
help us to bring you glory. Father, we pray that we would be good ambassadors to the world that is really lost out there. Father, we pray for the church at large around the world um, that needs Christ, for in him is our only hope. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.